result from your gift. Through planned giving, it is possible to make gifts to Radio Catskill you might have previously thought impossible. Call me. This is Rosie Starr for Radio Catskill. Welcome to Farm and Country, locally produced radio about rural life in the Catskills and the Delaware River Valley. On today's show, Keith Hubbard's Star Talk highlights the arrival of spring. And farm girl Dana shares her archived podcast about the beaver kill trout hatchery in Livingston Manor, New York. All of that coming up on today's Farm and Country. But first, news headlines from NPR. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Nora Rahm. Wide sections of the South and Midwest are heavily damaged from a huge storm system that spawned multiple tornadoes in Indiana, Illinois, and Arkansas. At least 11 people are confirmed dead. NPR's Amy Held reports. Tornadoes took down trees, power lines, and buildings. At the Apollo Theater in Belvedere, Illinois, the roof collapsed onto people packed in for a concert. Some patrons jumping in to pry off debris from others. In Sullivan County, Indiana, Emergency Management Agency Director Jim Pirtle says his was among the homes ripped apart, trapping his wife. They are okay now. That's not the case for everyone. Several, several people trapped in their basements, pinned in. People also pinned in in parts of Arkansas where there is heavy damage in Little Rock and about 100 miles east in the town of Wynn. Officials say they had to go into triage mode with multiple people killed in the crush of damage. Amy Held, NPR News. The Minneapolis City Council has approved a settlement with the state of Minnesota to revamp the city's police department. The state had accused the police department of engaging in a pattern of race discrimination. Minneapolis Mayor Jacob Fry welcomes the changes. I've heard from a lot of people out there that are wondering what to make of this and, and how they should feel. Is this good for police? Is it bad for police? Is this good for reform or is it bad for reform? Well, I'll tell you what, this is a good thing for the city of Minneapolis. It was nearly three years ago that a police officer murdered George Floyd by kneeling in his neck for more than nine minutes. More than a 1,000 union truck drivers and warehouse workers are on strike at food distribution giant Cisco. Indiana Public Broadcasting's Adam Yahira Reyes reports a strike began in Indianapolis about a week ago and recently extended to distribution sites in California. Indianapolis Teamsters workers say Cisco refuses to fairly negotiate a contract. Employee Kenneth Helton says workers want better wages and benefits and shorter hours. They continuously want us to work more hours, do more, continuously unsafe operation of equipment with the standards that they have on us. Teamsters in Louisville, Kentucky, also started striking shortly after. Then three more locals in California walked out. Dustin Roach, president of the Indianapolis Teamsters, says the union would do anything to protect its members. And if that means causing complete chaos in the Cisco system, we're going to do that. 
Cisco has denied allegations of unfair labor practices. For NPR News, I'm Adam Yahya Reyes in Indianapolis. Former President Trump is expected to appear in a Manhattan courtroom Tuesday after being indicted this week. The indictment is still under seal, so the nature of the charges has not yet been made public. The grand jury had been investigating a hush money payment to actress Stormy Daniels. This is NPR News. This is Rosie Starr. Welcome back to Farm and Country. Coming up on today's show, farm girl Dana shares her archived podcasts about the beaver kill trout hatchery in Livingston Manor, New York. But first, here's Keith Hubbard with this week's Star Talk report. Thank you for joining us on Radio Catskill for this week's locally produced Farm and Country. country. I'm Keith Hubbard, and this is Star Talk. It is the beginning of April, and all signs are pointing to spring. Birds are returning. The temperature is warming. Turning our gaze to the eastern sky, we can see the constellations that signal the arrival of spring. Standing on its end in the eastern sky is the asterism the Big Dipper, which is in the constellation Ursa Major. Looking below the cup of the Big Dipper is the backward question mark of the sickle in the constellation Leo the Lion. Closer to the horizon is the red-orange star Arcturus and Bootes, a kite or teardrop-shaped constellation. To the side of Bootes is the bowl-shaped constellation Corona Borealis. Just above the horizon in the northeast at 10 p.m. this week is the Keystone of Hercules. These five constellations are the constellations that dominate our spring sky. As spring progresses, we will see these constellations climb high in our evening sky, while they will remain throughout the summer. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future Star Talk segments, my email address is startalk at farmandcountry.org. For Farm and Country and Star Talk, this has been Keith Hubbard reminding you to keep looking up. Welcome to Talk Farm to Me. I'm your host, Farm Girl. On Talk Farm to Me, the farmer takes center stage and we find out what they do and how they do it. And no matter how you spend your time, I'm pretty sure you have more in common with farmers than you think. So sit back and relax and I'll bring a farmer, and maybe a cow or two, right into your living room for a chat. The Beaverkill Trout Hatchery is nestled on the shores of the Beaverkill River. For the past 60 years, the hatchery, a veritable fish farm, has been supplying trout to these waters. Without it, there would be far fewer fish to catch here. The hatchery is just 15 miles from Main Street in the town of Livingston Manor, New York. To get there, you follow the river on a long, winding road flanked with old farmhouses. On your way... You pass the big white house where Irving Berlin, the famous composer and lyricist, lived. 
he was likely alluding to these local waters in his 1935 hit, Dancing Cheek to Cheek. Oh, I love to go out fishing in a river or a sea, but I don't enjoy it half as much. The Beaverkill River is a tributary of the Delaware River. Along its 44 winding miles, bald eagles are repopulating. Blue heron and black bear hunt here. In the water, otters play, beavers dam, and trout lurk in the cool shadows. For more than a century, fishermen have traveled here in pursuit of peaceful downtime in the great outdoors, hoping to find their own version of the fishtails that these trout have inspired. A light blue farmhouse serves as the hatchery's headquarters. A big red barn displays a family tree of sorts, made up of wooden fish. Each one is hand-carved with the names of five generations of one family who have worked in this family business. Just across the road, a series of small ponds separate schools of growing trout. A larger pond invites visitors to fish and pay for what they catch. There's a lot more to this farm than meets the eye. Trout farmer Sherry Shaver is now at the hatchery's helm. She is the fourth generation of her family to run the farm and the great-granddaughter of its founder. The Beaverkill Trout Hatchery was founded in approximately 1963 by Fred D. Shaver, who was my great-grandfather. We, uh, have five generations of family. Our primary business is stocking live trout, hand-measured, that we have grown throughout the state of New York, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and we do a lot of business in Connecticut, to private fishing clubs, pond owners. We do a lot of kids' fishing contests. We go all the way to Lake Placid, Recreational fishing is big business. In 2018, nearly 50 million Americans went fishing for fun, mostly in fresh water where trout live. And this number is on the rise. According to the U.S. Census Bureau's most recent numbers, fishing and fishing-related expenditures totaled more than $80 billion a year. $80 billion. The key to all of this, of course, is the fish. If you catch a fish, you're more likely to go fishing again. And if you catch a big one, you're hooked. What most people don't realize is that both public and private fishing holes are stocked with fish that come from hatcheries. Fish don't exactly stay where you put them. I mean, they travel up and down this river. The fish stocked in the river also feeds a larger ecosystem than just the fishermen. I spoke with an aquatic biologist from Cornell University who has tracked trout with electronic transmitters only to find the devices in a tree after an osprey ate the tagged trout for lunch. We have a big predator issue with eagles, bears, otters, mink, you name it, blue herons. So the fish have a lot of, you know, competition to survive with all this stuff going on. Plus, people fish them out. Fishing lodges, private fishing clubs, and fishing instruction schools cater to folks who love to fish and will pay top dollar. Just down the road from the hatchery is a famous fly fishing school. The fish are the main attraction for the school, 
a local hotel, and several private fishing clubs nearby. Well, the thing with these private fishing clubs, the members pay a lot of money to belong, so they want to catch fish. A lot of your the people putting them in their ponds want to be able to fish to eat. And also it's cheap entertainment. 75% of Sherry's business is stocking ponds, rivers, and streams. She and the next generation of her family work year-round to raise hundreds of thousands of trout. It's tough work. This is a very labor-intensive operation. We don't just go out here and the fish jump on the truck for the fish order that's going out tomorrow. When we have an order of fish, we don neoprene waders, rubber gloves and liners, all the clothes you can get on because it's pretty darn cold. Then we go to catch fish. We'll take the uh, 40-foot seine. Uh, One person goes out in front of the other one to the end of the pond, turns, comes back, and we bring all the fish back with us and net the fish into our grade box where the fish are all hand-measured within a half an inch of desired size. Some days we'll be catching a 1,000 fish. We've caught as many as 3,000 fish in one day, all hand-measured. But remember, in that process, we're also handling probably ten to 15,000, 20,000 fish to get the desired sizes. If you're like me, you're wondering, where do they get all these fish? Sherry took me on a tour of their hatch house. Oh my God. Inside, six long metal troughs are full of moving water. They are teeming with hundreds of thousands of one-inch baby trout. We take our own eggs from our own fish in the fall and hatch them out. We get in the pond, and when a female is ripe, we somewhat cradle her, and you just touch her belly, and the eggs will just start to come out. And the same with the males. You kind of have to strip them to get the milt, the sperm. We probably hatched out 100,000 browns, 50,000 brook trout, and 80,000 rainbows. It's pretty common for hatcheries to use chemicals such as formaldehyde to help in the trout breeding process. But this hatchery does it the old-fashioned way. For the first six weeks after the eggs are fertilized, they inspect them. Hundreds of thousands of them, by hand, removing any dead eggs with an eyedropper. So that's quite a tedious process. There are easier ways. We kind of like the old school way, without chemicals and what have you. At the Beaverkill Trout Hatchery, they raise five different kinds of trout. Brook, brown, tiger, and two kinds of rainbow. They are all good for eating, but the tigers sound like the most fun to catch. The tigers are a cross between a brown female and a brook trout male. They're sterile, like a mule. They get super big, and they are some fighters. I think you might be surprised at how long it takes a fish to grow to 12 inches. Uh, Rainbows, a year and a half to two years. Browns are the slowest. Takes them all of two years. Besides the teeny trout in the hatch house, the hatchery has older trout growing outside in more than 30 ponds and a few long cement troughs that they call concrete raceways. 
her grandfather and great-grandfather started stocking fish as a side business to their main gig as dairy farmers at the request of a local fishing lodge. They were visionaries because how could something like this have started back in 63 as more or less a hobby and blossomed into the business that we're now running today? Now they are delivering over 200,000 fish to approximately 200 customers in four states and growing. At the time that the hatchery started out, I mean, if they raised 10,000 fish a year, probably they raised a lot. We have an excellent reputation. Some of our customers we've had for 40 years. Our customers have watched us ride in the fish trucks with our father, grandfather, when we were kids, and now we're running the business. They can always say, oh, I knew you when you were just a little shaver, and they'd be correct. Sherry remembers her father asking her to come and work for the family business after college. As an avid horsewoman, she dreamed of running her own horse stable. But she pivoted quickly and took on the job of feeding the fish on a regular schedule. I came home and my dad's like, will you go to work for me? <laughs> so the horses took a, a backseat to the fish. When we are in the hatch house, we take a look at the fish feed. It's 50% protein, plus vitamins and important nutrients the fish need to grow. But Sherry remembers when they used to make the fish food themselves. Before we had good quality trout feed, we used to buy beef liver and grind it and feed it to the fish. It was a mess. So to make baby food, we would take the ground beef liver, mix it with water in a blender. So it was like a liver milkshake. It was awful. Awful. Sherry's role feeding the fish on a regular schedule changed the pace of the business. Once they saw that once someone was doing all this feeding and stuff, how much growth, how much better things were becoming as far as producing the fish, things really got better. Sherry's dad had always been her biggest inspiration. They were on the front lines of the business together for years. To her, he seemed invincible. We have been through it all. We've been through floods. We've been through droughts. We've been through, you name it, we've been through it. So Sherry and her family were unprepared for what came next. On March 13, 2009, her father, Gary Shaver, died of a massive heart attack. I don't know. To me, he was... Uh indestructible and uh, it's really tough going on without him it really is because there's so many memories on this place it's like when I'm driving around here you see him here you see him there but he would be elated to see what we have done here since he passed away and that's, I just, that's what I, I do this for, is my father.
Sherry took over the day-to-day farming. Her mother handled the books. Her brothers and cousins and their kids stepped up their involvement, too. She remembers one particular day two summers ago when she looked out at the farm and marveled at what they had accomplished together. We had six descendants of Fred Shaver, who started this this business, working together on this farm. I thought that was just the coolest thing. One of the younger members of the family, Sherry's 26-year-old nephew, Tyler Shaver, started working on the farm a few years ago. Thank God my aunt called me. I was waiting for the call for a few years. Just, you know, hey, you want to start working at the hatchery? Tyler has seen the family in action. His aunt Sherry and Uncle Frank have modernized the farm with more efficient systems. Future plans include a large barn to further streamline their operations. Aunt Sherry is known for doing, pulling us out of a hard spot for sure, after Grandpa passed away and keeping us going through Grandma passing away and just streamlining a lot of things here. In the last 10 years, as upscale dining options have taken hold in the local area, a new business stream has blossomed for the hatchery. Sherry says selling fish as food, in addition to the more traditional stocking of rivers and ponds, is now a quarter of their business. Our business has blossomed into the restaurant trade. There wasn't a real big demand for what we call food fish till the past 10 years. People just weren't really into trout, and now trout being probably one of the cleanest fish that you can get, things are really, really coming around for us. We'd laugh and say, trout, the new lobster. Let's talk money for a minute. Stocked fish are sold by the hundreds or the thousands and range from 6 to 14 inches. Prices range from $180 per hundred fish for the smallest to $6,500 per thousand for the largest. Any way you slice it, the income is upward of $500,000 a year and growing in every category. But it wasn't always this way. We've not always been this fortunate. The restaurant part of this in the wintertime is what's given us a big boost because 10 years prior, November came, everything got picked up and put away. There was no income from November to March. That's pretty rough. The history of the family business is not lost on Tyler. After some courses at a local college, He thinks about how his forefather's story shares some parallels with Andrew Carnegie's shift from large steel ships to just selling steel. Well, he went, sold off all the ships and then switched over to just doing steel. And it was just such a, you know, brilliant idea at the time. Everybody thought he was crazy, but it just turned into he was the biggest steel manufacturer in the world at one point. And I know it's not on that level, but just for my great-great-grandfather to go to a different thing in the middle of all that. There was nothing wrong with the dairy business that was going on. Or I think personally for him to see way out that far ahead and switch over was a very cool idea. For Tyler's Aunt Sherry, the survival of the family empire their ancestors started 60 years ago depends on whether Tyler and his generation are ready to put what it takes into the future of the business. 
see, I, in my eyes, I'm going to live forever. I'm, you know, indestructible. But I know sooner or later, someday, I'm going to have to give it up. But there's a lot that they need to learn. And no one has ever had a formal education in this trout raising business. It's always been hands-on, trial and error, and learning from your mistakes. While New York City is only two hours from the hatchery, Sherry is cautious about expanding the food fish business too quickly. We uh, really don't need to look right now for new customers. We are having all we can do to keep up with what we've got and what's coming coming in. We are very fortunate that the Livingston Manor area is booming right now. So our, a lot of our business is in, within 30 miles of this place. I mean, I think that market will always be there, but we just don't need it. We're local. We can be local. There's a lot of money involved when you start going into New York City with fish. Tyler is on the same page. It's it's just not enough for us to try and go down to the city. Mm-hmm. Not to mention, we've got to stay within our means. You open up the city door, that's possibly thousands. of Could even be breaking into tens of thousands of extra fish we've got to produce. And uh, part, of that, part of the whole expansion thing is you want to push it, but don't go over the line. Don't start trying to sell fish that you don't have. So, if you want to eat a trout that got its start at the hatchery, you'll have to catch it yourself. Or visit one of the area's restaurants. You can also buy a trout from the hatchery's farm stand or catch one in its fish and pay pond. It's $6 per pound for the fish you catch. But don't try to sneak one past them. Sherry and her family have seen that move before. One day this lady's pocketbook was hopping off the porch because she was trying to steal fish. (laughs) I have driven past the Beaverkill Trout Hatchery many times over the years. I always slow down to peek into the ponds to get a glimpse of the fish circling. Still, I was surprised by everything I learned. The quantity of fish, how the eggs are harvested, how they are raised, how long it takes, and how far the business reaches. The wooden trout mounted on the barn bearing the names of all of the Shaver family members involved stand as a testament to the Shaver family's deep commitment and pride. Before I leave the farm, I head down to one of the concrete raceways holding hundreds of 10-inch rainbow trout. From a distance, I can see the smooth water rippling, but as I approach, it looks like it's begun to boil. (laughs) I am flattered. Aw, they're happy to see me. Each one swims on top of the next to get a better position. Then I realize they're just hungry, looking to grow another inch. And they're hoping that I have brought them some food. It's been great to have you along for this episode of Talk Farm to Me. Special thanks always to our farmers for Talking Farm and doing what they do best. For more information about this episode, including a look behind the scenes, head on over to talkfarmtome.com. This season's music is by Lobo Loco. 
You can find more episodes as they come out on TalkFarmToMe.com or subscribe to the whole season wherever you get your podcasts. Either way, please share your feedback right on the website or give us some love on iTunes. I'm your host, Farm Girl. Stay tuned for a new episode every two weeks when I bring a new farmer and maybe a cow or two right into your living room for a chat. We hope that you enjoyed our show this week with production by Radio Catskill volunteer Keith Hubbard. Special thanks goes to our guests, farm girl Dana and folks from her podcast about the beaver kill trout hatchery in Livingston Manor, New York. Find more of Dana's farm girl podcast at wjffradio.org slash podcasts. This has been your host, Rosie Starr. Thanks for listening local to Farm and Country and supporting Radio Catskill, public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Listen on air at 90.5 FM, on your phone or smart speaker, or online at wjffradio.org. Support for Farm and Country comes from Damascus Citizens for Sustainability, a community-supported, science-based nonprofit taking legal actions, providing tools for action, and raising awareness of fracking damage since 2008, proactively protecting public health in the Delaware River Basin and beyond. DamascusCitizens.org On this week's On the Media... New laws in Utah that aim to protect teens using social media have been called an invasion of privacy and paternalistic. But we don't let kids drink before a certain age. We don't let kids walk into a movie theater and see an R-rated movie. But when it comes to the Internet, like, all bets are off. That's on the next On the Media from WNYC. Move Sullivan, Sullivan County's free bus system, helps people get around.